Hey super friends and welcome to the 33rd episode of the Geico Podcast. In these dark coronavirus times we're here to talk all things comic books, film, TV and lack of news. I am your usual host Neil and I am joined by my regular co-host Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. How you feeling? Got a persistent cough? Raised temperature? No. Okay, then I think we're safe to continue. What are we going to be telling the listeners at home about in this episode? Not a lot. <laughs> no, not a lot, because uh, it's all a bit doom and gloom. We're going to be doing a bit of news, which is not all going to be very good, I'm afraid. We're going to tell you 15 ways to preserve fruit. <laughs> yep, how to uh, how to freeze your lamb chops. We're going to have a whole section on pickling. <laughs> Pickling? Pickling. Oh, pickling. Sounds like pickling. Enunciate. Enunciate. And we're going to be reviewing uh, a film, which is Superman Red Sun, which is due out on DVD and Blu-ray this week on the 16th of March. I'm going to be talking to you about a couple of books. I've got Marika Nijkamp's The Oracle Code from DC Comics, and from Insight Editions, I have got The Volume 1. What are you going to be talking about? There a book review in the offing. Oh yeah, we could talk about the book. I finished it, so I could talk about it. That's why I said to you a couple of hours ago, you're reviewing a book this week. I wasn't really listening. Didn't think so. What's the book? It is the latest in the series of The Rivers of London. Which number in the series is this? Eight. Number eight? Number eight. Simpsons quote. Uh, I was going to say this was number seven. Oh, eight or nine, depending if you count the novella in the middle. Is there only one novella? Yeah. Oh, well, right. one novella that follows this storyline. Oh, this is spoilers for the review. So, without further ado, let's get into the news. There's not a lot of good news this week. Uh, there, is, there is one good news story that may happen, but we'll get to that one last, because, you know, we're going to trudge through the, the bad stuff first. So when I was planning this episode, it looked like we were going to be talking to you about the fact that James Bond, uh, Bond 25, aka No Time to Die, had been postponed from its April release. Uh, It was due out on April the 2nd and had been bumped to November. That was the first victim of the coronavirus in terms of the entertainment industry. But things have um, sort of snowballed, should we say, from there. So we have... uh, not only James Bond, but also Mulan, New Mutants, A Quiet Place Part 2. I'm trying to look at the list to see what else there is. Basically anything released between now and April. No, May, sorry. Anything released between now and May is postponed either to later this year or, in the case of Fast and Furious 9, postponed 11 months to next year. It's not good. I was supposed to have seen A Quiet Place 2 on Friday, but that's been postponed. Uh, no more screenings. No, no press activity is happening as we speak all over. <coughs> no spread of virus. Well, trying to limit the spread of virus. Yes. Are you going to science us? No. There's enough of that. <laughs> so at the moment, as I said, it's only affecting films that are being released between now and uh, May. Black Widow is the first big release that is currently still on the slate. That's due to release on the 1st of May from Disney. They're under some major pressure to do something with it, but at the time, at this kind of point in time, it doesn't seem like they're going to move it as yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if this rattles on for a couple more weeks that they don't start delaying things through May, and then we will also hit June. Well, in theory, Fast 9 was due out on the 22nd of May, so that was a slightly early call from them on that one. Um, We'll start to hit June, at which point we'll hit Wonder Woman, and again, major pressure on Warner Brothers to move Wonder Woman, but at the moment... They have just released a new motion poster which just says coming soon rather than June 5th. Um, but they've not outright said that they're going to move it. But I guess they're sort of laying the groundwork that that may have to go as well. Not only that, we now have uh, a lot of film and TV series that have all stopped production. So Disney has postponed production on everything. So Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings from Marvel has postponed production the director has self-isolated and is awaiting test results to see whether he has coronavirus. The Little Mermaid has stopped filming. The new Home Alone reboot that's in pre-production as also a lot of things that are in pre-production and aren't filming yet are postponing when they were due to shoot. 
Warner Brothers has shut down everything, so all the DC TV series are down for the time being. Supergirl was just starting production on its finale. The Flash was somewhere between penultimate and finale episode. Legends of Tomorrow had already finished, so that is unaffected. Batwoman has two or three episodes to go and was due to film through mid-April. That is shut down. Riverdale, everything else. Netflix has shut down Strange Things. They, I mean, that's a lot of Vancouver-based stuff. I'm not sure where Strange Things films. Um, LA stuff is also down to chat shows, Grey's Anatomy. Everything is basically ground to a halt. A lot of live shows are not filming with audiences, so your chat shows aren't... Uh, if any of them are continuing, they're continuing without live audiences to try and keep people safe. Not good. No, it's not really. And it's going to be like this for a long time, I think. It is going to be like this for a long time. So the question remains, what are the shows going to do that haven't been able to finish seasons? Because a lot of them will have not wrapped up storylines and will be going into their summer hiatus without having finished. Unless there there probably won't be a summer hiatus this year. Or a very delayed summer hiatus. I suppose it depends. If it's one episode each for the DC TV shows, they could always go back and film in a couple of months' time and show them over the summer and then take their usual break. Supergirl in a particularly precarious position, what with Melissa Benoist just having announced that she is pregnant. Congratulations to her. That's a little round of applause. Uh, because that show would be obviously trying to factor in the fact that she's going on maternity leave. Um, so that whole plan that we talked about last time or the time before where we said maybe they should put Superman on first and rest Supergirl till later on in the year might come to pass. If they can film it. If they can film it. And we don't really know what's happening. Day by day it changes. Um, we will keep you updated. Keep your eyes on the news pages of getyourcomicon.co.uk where we'll probably tell you what's been postponed next and then eventually start bringing you the wonderful news of when things start picking back up again. But in some better news, possibly, uh, Tom Holland has um, probably gotten himself in trouble with Disney once again by confirming that Spider-Man 3 is set to start filming in July. Fingers crossed it actually is. That's a long time away, so I imagine it would be. Yeah. And he said it, uh, let me remember the exact quote, it is an absolutely insane script, he says. Um, he also confirmed that Zendaya will be back to play MJ once again. Excited for Spider-Man 3? Yes, very. After the joys of Spider-Man 2. Yeah, so we know that it will have to pick up with uh, Peter, presumably maybe on the run, after Quentin Beck, um, Mysterio. Yeah. Couldn't think of his real name. Jake Gyllenhaal was killed off at the end of the last one and revealed to everyone via the say the Daily Planet. I'm all over the place. Revealed via um, the Daily Bugle that Peter Parker is Spider-Man because now the the secret identity is out. It'll be interesting to see where they go next with it. There aren't really any secret identities left in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No, they don't really seem to bother. No, they're not that fussed about them, are they? As always with Marvel, a lot of this one is kept secret for now, and we won't know very much until it's uh, already out there in the world. We know that director John Watts is returning. It's safe to say that probably lots of the other cast members from the previous two films will be back. We don't even know shooting locations or anything for this one. I can't remember if we knew around the time that Spider-Man 2 was gearing up to uh, to film that they were going to be travelling Europe. I think we kind of knew by this point. So whether this will be more of a New York-based thing, or whether the fact that he may be on the run after the events of the last film may take this uh, one a bit more global again. It'll be interesting to see. I'm a little bit on the fence just because of blowing up the Spider-Man world by taking away the alter ego from him. I feel like what I enjoy about Spider-Man, because my kind of, I, I read the Amazing Spider-Man comics, but my main thing is going back and reading the Ultimate Spider-Man Ultimate collections. And what I love about that is the, the fact that you see all that Peter Parker trying to be a teenager and balance the alter ego with the, the vigilante superhero type life and it feels like all of that's been taken away from him in the film slightly. So I'm not quite sure how I feel about that yet. They might just say it was a big hologram and it's all fake. So. <laughs> yeah, they could I suppose. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with it. I don't doubt that it will be good, I'm just not sure how I feel about what the new status quo might be. You'll have to wait and see. Yes, it's due in cinemas on July the 16th, 2021. That's it for the news this week. Hopefully in two weeks' time we'll have a few more bits and pieces to tell you about. We might have a bit of a better idea of what's going on with the old entertainment world and things to be picking up. So let's get on to our first review. 
First up this week, I'm going to be telling you about a brand new book from the DC Graphic Novels for Young Adults line. This book is called The Oracle Code, a graphic novel, and is written by Marika Nijkamp, the number one New York Times bestselling author of This Is Where It Ends. Illustrations in this book are by Manuel Pretano. Everything is a puzzle. When I put together the pieces, it feels like I'm flying. I'm in a state-of-the-art rehab facility, but something is off. Patients go missing. Some, my own friends. They're telling us they just graduate or move on to other treatment centers. I'll tell them I'm Barbara Gordon, and I'm a hacker who will follow the clues till I find out what really happened. When all the pieces fit, I'll fly again. The blurb on the back of the uh, the cover says, After a gunshot leaves her paralysed below the waist, Barbara Gordon undergoes physical and mental rehabilitation at the Arkham Centre for Independence. She must adapt to a new normal, but she cannot shake the feeling that something is dangerously amiss. Strange sounds escape at night while patients start going missing. Is this suspicion simply a result of her trauma, or does Barbara actually hear voices coming from the labyrinthian hallways? It's up to her to put the pieces together to solve the mysteries behind the walls. In the Oracle Code, universal truths cannot be escaped, and Barbara Gordon must battle the phantoms of her past before they consume her future. If you want to read my full review of this, it's available now over at the website www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. I gave this book a 9 out of 10, and I said the Oracle Code is a beautiful and empowering introduction to this contemporary version of Barbara Gordon, a well-constructed mystery which focused on the character's heart and her strength. It really is a great book and I've told you to read this and you've not done it yet um, but it's a really I know it's YA and neither of us are uh, a young adult you're certainly not thanks very much uh, but it's it's a really well constructed introduction to the character of Barbara Gordon as Oracle it does a really clever job of sidestepping some of the really difficult sides of how Barbara Gordon became Oracle so in the beginning, the kind of the first chapter, it's Barbara Gordon, as you might know her from any form of media. Uh, she's a young girl, she's a hacker. She spends a lot of time hanging out on rooftops with her best friend Ben and they're doing hacking challenges. Um, and he's challenging her to come up with a hacker name, which is obviously a, a little nod to the fact that she needs to come up with the name Oracle. But it, it skips her ever being Batgirl. She's never Batgirl in this, in this continuity. It goes straight from Barbara Gordon to traumatised version of Barbara to, to eventually becomes Oracle um, and it's really interestingly done so it doesn't you know, there's no Joker in this there's no events of the killing joke it's in fact it never even really explains to you what happened she uh, she obviously spends a lot of time listening to police scanners and goes chasing after something that her dad's involved with and presumably she gets in, in the way of some kind of crime that happens and she gets shot but it that's not the story that Marika Nijkamp's trying to tell. She's trying to tell a much more emotional story about the character's trauma and her disability and how she deals with it. So to have had Batman and to have had Joker and to have replayed the killing joke, I don't think would work for a young adult audience. A bit too yeah. adult. Exactly. But also to have those characters in there, I think would have pulled focus from Barbara and what's actually happening. So the crux of the book is more about how she goes into the Arkham Institute and tries to deal with being paralysed and what that means to her and what it means for her as a person. So she very much loses her identity. She loses that hacker side of herself. And she talks about how she always wants to solve the puzzle. Everything's a puzzle to her to be solved. But her, her biggest issue in the book is that she's now the puzzle because she needs to put herself back together. Uh, and it's it's only through the fact that there's a, a a mystery that is in the Arkham Institute that it kind of gives her something to focus on. But she pushes her dad away. Um, her best friend won't come and see her, won't respond to her messages, so she feels very alone. She doesn't want to make friends with people who are in the Institute. It's There's some really tough emotional questions and things that she has to deal with in the book, um, which are quite challenging to read, but it's pitched really well for its audience at the same time. It's not inaccessible for, for that young adult audience it's really well written and 
I don't want to spoil any parts of the story particularly, but it's a really engaging mystery, and there are clues that are actually littered throughout the book that you could pick up on if you know what you're looking for. And at the end, I did find myself going, oh, that's what that was, and that's what that was, and that was pointing to that. Uh, but it's all there for you to discover. And I said in my review that you can kind of read it two different ways. You could read it uh, the way I did, which was about the character and her recovery. So I was following the emotional side of Barbara and how she was kind of learning to be a person again and put herself back together. Or you can read it from the more detective side and you could be, you know, you pick up on the fact that there's a mystery and you could be searching the whole book for clues as you go along. It depends on what you want to get out of it, really. But the two things completely intersect by the end of it. And it's a, it's a very satisfying conclusion to the book as well. Sounds very interesting. It is really interesting. And the artwork is really nice as well. So I was talking to you about this the other day, but uh, Manuel Pertano's artwork is really, really... I'm just going to show you some pages while I'm doing this. Uh, it's it's really, really cool the way it's coloured in. So a lot of scenes where there is something in particular that he wants you to focus on will have characters that are in colour or particular aspects of the environment that are in colour and everything else will be quite devoid of colour. They might just, So like here, when they're in uh, kind of the hospital side, everything is very blue and it's really the main characters that are actually in colour and it does that a lot and it helps pull your focus to what they want you to see within the frame. But there's also a lot of little Easter eggs. So uh, there was a cuddly toy Robin. There's a couple of Doom Patrol t-shirts. There's a Robot Man t-shirt at one point, And there's some comic books lying around. And I can't remember which page it's on. And I should have marked it beforehand. But if you're a Star Trek fan, there is a poster on a wall that says Resistance is Futile underneath a cube. Which uh, properly made me go, hey, Star Trek. Uh, while I was reading it. Oh, oh, there it is. Resistance is Futile. Cube on page 90 if you haven't picked up the book uh, but it's just, it's just a really great read and I think I've now read two or three of these young adult books from DC and actually they if you read comic books anyway you understand that the different writers will tell characters in different ways so you're completely used to it but I think these are really great ways to get they're really great gateways the phrase I'm looking for uh, to get into some of these characters and I had a little chat with Mariah Kinnaykamp on Twitter uh, and said to her that actually I hope we get to see more of this version of the character because it's really interesting and it would be interesting to see where it would go for her from here Have I convinced you to read it yet? Maybe, yeah I don't have the time that's the problem Plus it's a physical book And it's a physical book I don't do very well with physical books No, and I actually have to say a really big thank you to DC for sending me this uh, a week before it came out because that was very, very nice of them and very, very cool of them as well uh, It was very exciting to get a little early snapshot of that one as I said I gave this a 9 out of 10 and you can read my full review over on the website which I've said it twice and I will say it again is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk on to a film review get the best you've got Extraordinary reports coming out of the Soviet Union. Tales of a being with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. As I said, Mr. President, of course I understand your concern, but I assure you the Luthor Company has this under control. I don't blame those among you that fear me, for you've been taught to fear all your lives. This is a world where the strong rule. And you are the strongest of all of us. It is only a matter of time, very little time, until all of Western Europe is absorbed, is taken by the Soviet Superman. Look alive, Lanterns. We've got incoming. I'm honored to have you here, Ambassador. Call me Diana. And what shall I call you? Superman. You think you're going to stop me, Batman? What now? Now I save the world. Superman Red Sun is directed by Sam Liu and based on the comic book miniseries by Mark Miller. 
It stars Jason Isaacs as Superman, Amy Acker as Lois Lane, Diedrich Bader as Lex Luthor, Vanessa Marshall as Wonder Woman, Phil Morris as James Olsen, Paul Williams as Brainiac, and plenty of other recognisable names from the DC Universe, such as Phil Lamar, who actually returns to play Jon Stewart in this, which is very exciting. It's available now on digital platforms and comes out on DVD and Blu-ray in the UK on March the 16th. What did you think of this film? First impressions when you saw uh, the trailer, kind of pre-seeing the film. Excited for this? Yeah, I was actually very excited for it. I always love a good DC animated movie. They always pull them at the bag. And you really like this comic book as well. Owning the Red Sun t-shirt as you do. Yes. So what were you excited to see them translate from the comic book to the film? I was just excited to see uh, another Elseworlds universe brought onto the, the big screen. Or not so big screen. I know. They're, I, do you remember when they used to do One Night at the Cinema for these? Yeah, I quite like doing that. Yeah, I miss those. More of those please, DC. I would agree with you. Uh, I think I've only read this comic book once. So I was still a little bit hazy on a couple of details, but I will pick it up and read it again, since having seen the film, that is. But I'm always really interested in how these characters translate into a different setting like this, and how certain characteristics will carry over. So, watching the film now, what was your highlight of watching it? I like all of it, to be honest with you. It was a really good all round of this one. Yeah. Very rarely do I feel let down by a DC Comics film. I did. We talked about this the other day, didn't we? And said that Batman Gotham by Gaslight isn't one that we often go back to, which is an Elseworlds one. But I feel like this is one that we could go back to quite often. And then you shocked me by saying that you weren't a big fan of Gods and Monsters, which I love. No, I, don't, I mean, it was all right, but I wouldn't rush to go back and watch it again. No irony in the fact that we're going to watch it this evening, then. Are we? Yes. Hmm. What were your highlight moments? I just think all of it. I mean, I just think it was a really good film all round. It was something, it felt really different in a certain way because it had a different tone about it. It felt a bit darker and a bit more grown up in a way. It wasn't one for the kids, was it? There was a a fair amount of um, blood in this one at times. Yeah. But I mean, I thought it was very well done. I don't have a bad thing to say, really. I just think it was really good. Okay. Wow. What were your highlight moments? Ruins my next question. Is there anything you didn't really like? No. Um, really, yeah. Highlight moments for me. So there were a few changes from the comic book, which I thought were really interesting. So they took out... Uh, I can't remember what they called her in the comic book, but the the friend that he has on the farmyard is called Svetlana in the film. In the book, that's like Lana Langinsky. <laughs> it's basically Lana Lang. Um so they changed that, but kept some of the core of that relationship the same. That was interesting. They also changed the relationship between Superman and Wonder Woman a bit, in that they made her an LGBTQ character. Although not in a particularly forceful way, but it's more of a relationship between Clark and Diana in the comic book than there is in the film. I also felt like they dialed up the madness on Russian Batman a bit. So in the comic book, he does do some of the similar things to what he does in the film. He is a terrorist to some description in that he's trying to disrupt what Superman is doing. But he doesn't quite take innocent lives like he does in the film. So that adds a, an element of drama to the whole thing? Yeah, I think it adds... It, the thing with these Elseworlds stories is they often have an air of desperation about them to the characters that you know and love. Like, when you, if you think about, like, uh, Doppelgangland in Buffy... When you went to that alternate universe, everyone there was just was a darker version of themselves, and it was very desperate, and it was very terrible, and everyone died. And that tends to be what some of these stories will often do, is that they will portray the character that you like in a way that's recognisable, but often will end up in a much less happy way than maybe they do otherwise, in normal continuity. Well, I suppose that's the whole point of an else world, really, isn't it? It's something different to what we're normally used to seeing. Otherwise, what would be the point? Yeah. Like like do things that you couldn't do elsewhere. <laughs> what do you think about the idea of Superman in Russia, then? Do you still feel like he was a recognisable character? Were the characteristics of Superman still there? 
Yes, I would say they were. So you still knew it was Superman in, an, in his truest form. I felt like he was played a little bit more of a straight-up villain in a way. More so than maybe in the comic book of this. But it's sort of, it's his values just in a slightly extreme way. Yeah. And that's the most interesting thing about the story, I think, is to see how that maps onto a different set of circumstances. So had he been taken under the wing of Joseph Stalin, it wouldn't have ended so well for the world, would it? As demonstrated in the film. Yes. But it is interesting to see how he still wants to protect people, but his idea of protecting them now is to bring them all into his regime because that's his way of protecting them. Because it's not that far removed from what he does in America. It's just that in America he doesn't decide that the people in power are dangerous and that he should take the power for himself. But there's nothing to say that that wouldn't happen. Because it's a reflection of the political system that he's been brought up in. Which is why I wonder about the timing of the film's release as well. Are they trying to? Is there a political statement in there that now is the right time to do this? Probably. I mean, there's all, all great dictators start with good intentions. It's true they do. Yeah, well, I'm, I assume they do. I don't know. I've not met any. So. <laughs> I mean, no, I think that's a fair assumption. Um, what do you think about the supporting cast? So, Wonder Woman. I think it was a really interesting take to have her as almost like the negotiator or the go-between. One major scene that they sort of changed was uh, the final scene that she was in when her and Superman kind of come to blows. And I quite liked that in the film, instead of it, you know, instead of it being a massive dust-up between the two of them, that she just basically turned around to him and said, do you know what, I don't agree with your ideals, we're never going to talk again. And that she just then took off and was never seen again from his perspective. I thought that was quite... uh, emotionally destructive of her to do that to him rather than it be a case of she wins in a punch-up or he wins in a punch-up and that's how their relationship comes to an end. Now there's a question. Who would win in a punch-up? Oh, uh, I don't know. Wonder Woman. Okay. What's your answer? I don't know. I think they're both equally strong. True. Yeah. She is a god though. Technically he's sort of a god. He's an alien, isn't he? What about Batman? What did you think about Batman? Again, I thought it was a really interesting take. A very similar origin, but with a very different slant. Who else we got that's in there? Uh, Lex and Jimmy? Lex, Jimmy and Lois, they kind of all come as a bit of a package. Yeah, I mean, Lex is always Lex, wherever he is, I suppose. He's just Lex. And again, they slightly changed the story uh, with Lex, so the he doesn't quite manipulate things in the comic book in the way he does in the film. So he gives Lois the the file on the gulags that she then gives to, to Superman. That's what makes him go and find that. That's not quite how it happens in the comic book. So I felt like Lex sort of tried to manipulate the situation to his own means and ended up causing most of what happened in that respect. I really liked Amy Acker as Lois Lane. I thought she was a good Lois Lane. Mm, yeah, I quite liked her as Lois Lane, actually. When you think of her as Fred in Angel, she's obviously got a very meek voice. Whereas this was quite a, a strong voice for her. I don't feel like she gets to show that very much. I'm trying to think. especially she was in Alias for a while and she was a villain in that. But even then I don't remember her having the most forceful voice. This this seemed like a particularly strong vocal performance for her. I don't remember her being in Alias. She was in the final season. Oh. She trapped Sydney on the ship where she ends up giving birth. I can't remember what happens to her in the end. I've got a feeling she gets blown up maybe when APU blows up. Uh, that would be authorised personnel only, not admissions and pre-assessment unit. That's going to say I don't remember APU below. <laughs> that would certainly be an interesting day at work. Oh, I did, all my questions then lead down the, was there anything that you weren't so keen on? Uh, which we've just discovered is nothing. No. <laughs> what did you give this from a review point of view? Uh, for, oh, in my review... Uh, which you can read over on our website now, and if I've not said it enough, I'll say it again. It's www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. My verdict was, Superman Red Sun is a challenging and politically charged what-if statement on the history of Superman. It features an engaging story, inspired visuals, and will satisfy even the most sceptical viewer 8 out of 10. Now, visuals, that's something that we haven't talked about, actually. I got a Bruce Tim vibe from this. 
but maybe more square. There were certain character designs that felt very classic DC animation to me. More so than the Justice League continuity side of the DC animated universe. It felt very familiar. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It, had very, it did have very sort of tin features about it. It's the body shape. Something about the way that the body shape models are done just felt very reminiscent of like the Justice League cartoon to me. I agree. I didn't realise that until you just said it, but I'm like, oh yeah, it does actually look a bit timmy. Can you believe this is also the 37th film? No, that's insane. 2007, uh, Superman Doomsday was the first one, and this wow. is now the 37th film in this whole direct-to-video line. And they're not slowing down, they've got more coming up, lined up. Uh, yeah, so we have uh, Justice League Dark, and then I'm not sure if Superman Man of Tomorrow is the next one after that. There's another Superman one that's coming up. Uh, I don't know if we have a Batman one in between. Anything else you want to say about Superman Red Sun? If you haven't seen it, go and see it. <laughs> so it's available, as I said, on digital platforms now and comes out on DVD and Blu-ray on March the 16th. I think it's March the 17th for America, so next week. Essentially, as this podcast comes out, you will be able to go pick this up on any format that you wish, and it is well worth watching. Mm. And check out the behind-the-scenes featurette preview for Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, because it's, um, wow. Almost like it should be on a list of things if you find yourself, you know, trapped at home for a long period of time to watch. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If for the next two weeks or month or year or decade you are trapped in the house, make sure to put this on your list. There's an article to write for the website. Things to watch. <laughs> things to watch while self-isolating. Right, I'm going to throw it over to you now uh, for you to tell us about a book. This is fun. We don't do books very often on here. I think we've well, to be fair, this, I, I would say that Marika Nijkamp's The Oracle Code, which I just reviewed, is a book, but you know, it's still a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel. I know, but it's not like a normal comic book, is it? Go, tell us. I'm not really sure how much to say about this one. I was thinking that, so I've prepared some questions. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, so My you favorite. said this is the eighth book? Yeah, so eight. Yeah, Rivers of London, number eight. Okay, so if anybody listening right now hasn't read any Rivers of London, um, firstly, I'm sure you'll tell them to go back and read all of the books. But if someone were to pick this up as their first one, what what are the salient points that they need to know? Who's our main character? So Peter Grant is the main character. So he is a detective. I think this is quite a nice book. So if you've not read any of the last seven... That's not a massive issue. Okay. So the the first seven have a, a theme going throughout them. So there's one main villain. Right. And that storyline evolves over the seven books. Whereas this one, well in the last, so book seven, we sort of resolve all that. Okay. So this is like a new beginning. So it's almost like a new series in a way. Right. So it's like a new continuation. So essentially PC Peter Grant works in the Metropolitan Police in yep. London. And he is a trainee wizard, solving supernatural crimes in London and the surrounding areas. And the home counties, if you will. You do love talking about them home counties. So what's the what's the blurb on the back cover of this? Tell us what the storyline of this book is. So let me tell you the blurb that's on the back of the book. It does give away some spoilers, but you'll probably forget about them by the time you've read all seven to get to this one anyway. Uh, so Peter Grant, the detective... detective. Or trainee detective is facing fatherhood oh. and an uncertain future with equal amounts of panic and enthusiasm. Oh, so is that real life? It does. Leaving his old police life behind, he takes a job with Silicon Valley tech genius Terence Skinner's new London startup, the Serious Cybernetics Corporation. Drawn into the orb of Old Street's famous Silicon Roundabout, Peter must learn how to blend in with people who are both civilians and geekier than he is. Compared to his last job, Peter thinks it should be a doddle. But magic is not finished with Met's finest trainee wizard in his 50 years. Because a secret is hiding somewhere in the building. A technology that stretches back to Adelaide Loveface and Charles Babbage. And forward to the future of artificial intelligence. A secret that is just as magical as technological and twice as dangerous. That is the blurb. 
You're looking confused. That sounds random as hell. But it's good. <laughs> okay. Um, where do you start on picking that one? So essentially it's magic meets technology meets London Met Police. So is he still a trainee wizard? You have me. Uh, sorry. Hang on. Oh, see, I've confused myself. Is he still a trainee detective? So you kind of got to read the book. So the first oh, two chapters... okay, am I asking questions that are spoilerific? Yeah. Okay, he's undercover then. Pretty much. <laughs> yep. So the first like, the first three chapters are a bit sort of timey-wimey. So... so when you started reading this on the train, you were saying to me, I don't think I like this book, this is really weird, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. But then I got to the fourth chapter, I was like, oh, it makes sense now. Right. So essentially it sort of jumps back in time by a month... So it starts mm-hmm. in January, and then it jumps back to December, then it jumps back to January, then it jumps back to December. Okay. And so we find out how he gets himself into this position, and that sort of ties up things in the last book. Right. Because when I first read it, I thought, oh, God, I've missed something here. Have I missed a tie-in? Did yeah. I just completely forget what happened last time around? But actually, it all makes sense, and it sort of builds up this quite nice, not complex storyline, but nice web of story okay. towards the end. And it is really good. So what? Yeah, I mean, you've blasted through these in probably the last year. So what is it about Rivers of London that has hooked you so much? I think it's quite nice. So living in London, yes, all the books are set in London, yes, and each book is set on an area of London. So it almost feels like you're there, and it could happen. That makes sense. And it's very much based within sort of like modern policing serial drama, with a whole heap of supernatural stuff stuck on top of it. Yeah. Which, you know, I do love a bit of supernatural stuff. Yeah. So it's almost like if Constantine worked in the London Met. Okay, yeah, that's a good analogy. With a bit more comedy and less sort of grittiness, then it would be Rivers of London. You have reviewed one of the Rivers of London comic books on this podcast before. Yes. In the past. And it was a bit out there because it was a ghost car. Yes, I remember. I recall this. Okay. You read this in the space of like four days as well. Yes. So, uh, what was it about this one that was so interesting? I think because it was so different from the last ones, because it's taken a look at its kind of technology meets magic and how they're sort of how somebody has managed to sort of crack the code in a way. Yeah. Because it all comes down to this sort of um, Ada Lovelace and Charles Babbage and how you know in the 18th century they came up with a code that could that Ada Lovelace Ada Lovelace yeah could sort of come up with she's a real person, isn't she? Yeah artificial intelligence and all that stuff yeah and how that could then be used to manufacture magic well it's yeah a lot of people say magic is just technology we've not yet discovered exactly so it's an interesting concept to then look at sort of a big sort of tech company and the sort of the the people that would work in there and how it would sort of run Mm -hmm. so even things like the it's called the serious cybernetics corporation which is just a bit bizarre and even like the department names and the names for the people that work there, it's all very sort of like Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, okay. Very heavily geek mythology esque, so yeah. quite funny. So all the staff are called the mice and they all work in the sort of the rat run of a London office. And the office space, they they can board game as much as they want because if that's what they need to code, then they can go and do what they want to do. I want to work there. I know. So when I thought about it, I was like, oh god, this is really funny. So there's a couple of chapters where like they spend play, they play a game of Firefly or have a round of Dungeons and Dragons. You're like, oh, this is quite funny. So do they get to play Star Trek Catan? They do actually. I think they do. But they, they call it Star Trek Catan. But there's lots of there's like lots of those little bits kind of woven through it as well. Interesting. So if you're a tabletop gamer, then there's probably a lot of little nods and winks and Easter eggs that you can really get out of this. Yeah. Oh. And then from a sort of so if you've read the books and you follow the series as well, there's lots of continuing story under going on going through that as well. So all the stuff underpinning it. Yeah, couldn't think of the word there. So when it says, you know, Peter Grant's got fatherhood, there's a whole heap of kind of um, issues around that because who, he's, who his partner is and what's the outcome of that. I'm going to use my vast knowledge of having read book one to say, has he had a baby with a river? Yes, he has. <laughs> yes, go me from one book. Um, okay. Or he's about to have twins with a river. Um... Could he call them Babbling Brook and Sparkling Spring? Well, I mean, the river that he's having the children is Beverly Brook. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I'm so good. I've, just, I've, I've cracked the code of Rivers of London. Yeah. Okay, highlights of this book? 
Uh, Don't say everything. You can't say everything is a highlight of everything. I like the they've extended the magical world. So Mm -hmm. when we go back to book one, we think magic only happens in London now because there's only Nightingale left, who's the chief inspector of magic for the Met. But actually... Is there a Harry Potter element to this with the magic school? Kind of, but all that's gone now. A bit more British. A bit more British. A bit more London Met. It's very British, yeah. So there was sort of like a magic school, but that all stopped after the war. The war. There was a war? There was a war. Oh. No, the one in the Second World War. That war. Oh, that war. Right, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant some sort of magical war in the book. No, there wasn't a magical war, but, you know, that was a case of during the war. Yes. The war. The war. That these practitioners were helping with the war effort. Ah, okay. And then so it sort of leaves it as, you know, we think that Nightingale's the only practitioner left, but actually... We're opening up. There's lots of people around, so it brings in the American people come into this now, and how yep. the FBI are involved, and the American practitioners, and how all you know. There's a lot of stuff going on that they didn't think was actually still going on. Mm, okay. Anything uh, that you would uh, criticize doesn't seem like a very nice word because we don't want to put any piece of creative work down. But was there anything that you were less keen on with this particular one? No, I think it was. Um, no, so it was a very self-contained story because by the as I was getting closer to the end, I thought, oh, is this going to set up another sort of three or four book mm-hmm. arc like the last round? But actually, it sort of tidied everything up quite nicely. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes next and what what's next for. Are there more books to come? I hope there are more books to come. I've not looked actually. Uh, my focus is now on Sam Manslin, which is coming out in a couple of months. Yeah. Okay. So, anything else that you would like to say about this book before we sign off on this part of our review? If you haven't read it, you need to read it, because not only do I think it's amazing, it's the Sunday Times number one bestseller as well. Well, there you go. What more do you need? Uh, which one is a more ringing endorsement? The Sunday Times or yours? Maybe me. We've not even said who wrote it. What's the name of the author? Oh, God, I can't remember his last name. Um, ben... Aronovich. Aronovich. That's right. That's why I didn't ask you, because I knew that you were going to go, Oh God, how do I say it? Like, how do I say it? How but, would you have said it? I don't know, I would have, I would have got there. Aradlinovich. Probably. Ben Arachnophobia. But he's a really interesting guy as well, because he's uh, what, a TV writer, he's written loads of other stuff as well. He is indeed. So he wrote the four-part Doctor Who arc, Remembrance of the Daleks, from 1988, and he also wrote the four-part Battlefield storyline from uh, 1989, so that was a Sylvester McCoy era. I think both of those were Sylvester McCoy. Um, He's also done some uh, audio dramas as well, Doctor Who Audio in 2011. Oh, okay. Earth he also eight. wrote an episode of Casualty. Good old British writer there. Yeah, and a TV series called Jupiter Moon he wrote nine episodes of in 1990, 1996. He went back to as well. Very talented man. And obviously he writes all the comics as well, which have been quite a lot actually. I need to go back and read the comics. It's actually, for something that maybe people aren't hugely aware of, um, not that I'm suggesting at all that this isn't something people know about because it's clearly very successful, but it's quite a uh, multimedia entity. It is, because the comics tie into the books as well. Yeah. So there's a, in theory there's a comic in between the books to link all the stories together. I need Nicola right now. Um, so when we were at um, London Film and Comic Con Spring a couple of weeks ago, and we were at the panel for Audible's Assassin's Creed Gold audiobook. They were talking about the Assassin's Creed universe and how I've got it. It's come. It's come to me. Uh, how it uh, so like the storyline in the audiobook is still part of the storyline of the games and of the novels and the comics and in theory the film Transmedia. It's now called Transmedia. So it's um, <laughs> not what you might imagine at first because when he said Transmedia, I thought. Um, it's a new buzzword term for when uh, this kind of storyline encompasses all the different parts of media that circle around one particular franchise so you could suggest that like Marvel's TV series and movies if they all span into computer games and stuff as well it's like a it's like a trans media franchise oh interesting well it's about to hit the TV screen as well is it actually is it 
Well, I mean, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost of course, yes. have picked it up, so yes. they're, they're going to do an adaption of it, but I've not really seen anything else about it, to be honest with you. They have a new show that's coming onto Amazon Prime that I think has been their focus recently, so maybe it's the next thing that they're working on after that. Is it something that has an IMDb? Uh, I'm going to do a quick bit of tapper-tapper, so you just uh, entertain the, the listeners at home for a second. Yes, I mean, I think we do. I mean, they're really easy books to read as well. I mean, if you're not a massive reader or you're not really... If you don't really think you've got the time for like a really complex story or something, they're they're so easy to read. And I wish I read more books, but I have so many comic books to read in life that I very rarely have time to get to an actual book these days. Yeah, I mean, to be, I'm not a massive... I say I'm not a massive reader either, and it's not rare that I find a series that I can then sort of devour mm. quite quickly. I mean, I tried to get you to read uh, the Bones books... The Kathy Rikes, and you didn't really get into those. No, I'm not very good with a... I, I say I'm not good with a crime book. That's why I selected it. Go on. Um, just because I find them a bit... I've tried. Mm. So my mum used to read, like, every crime novel going under the sun. So her house was always filled with, like, Patricia Conwell yeah. and Rebus. And I've tried. I do really try to read you them. You need but more of a supernatural... I need something bin. to hook me in. Yeah. Whereas this is a crime serial, but it's got that supernatural hook. And yes. it's got a more complex storyline going underneath it it's like it's like i can't really get into bones the tv series just because it's the same thing crime procedurals are very very repetitive because the 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 cast will generally remain the same for the span of a crime i mean this isn't just a thing with bones 12 years the main cast of bones barely changed you look at your ncis or your um what csis a lot of those characters will remain the same for for multiple seasons if not decades and crime procedurals just do the same thing. Crime, investigate, solve. It's very rare that they do things that are serialised in a crime drama because mm. it's safe, repetitive TV that people will tune into because people love crime. I just get a bit bored of it. Unless it's, you know, Murder, She Wrote or <laughs> Diagnosis Murder, then I'm all over that. Yes, yes, okay. <laughs> what would you give this as a score out of 10? Do you know what I really liked? I'm going to go for a good 8. Okay. Yeah, it's probably one of my favourites of the series. Well, okay, right, cool. So, uh, where can people buy this book? Where all good books are bought, or sold, sold. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I normally download them because I can read them on the train. Yes, but you can buy, you know. You mean you procure them legally? You don't mean you don't. Oh no, no, them I don't illegally. like to do that illegally. No, I get them via my. You can say Amazon. You are allowed. I didn't get from Amazon. though. I got from Apple. Oh, sorry. it's an Apple book. Which is really interesting because in this in the new Apple app, I got a reward every day for reading. Oh, you did, didn't you? Positive was, reinforcement yeah. for reading. So I said, well done, you've read for five minutes today. Here's a big tick. Okay, I maybe need to do that. Maybe that would encourage me to read more. And if you read three books, you get another award. Hmm, okay. So yeah, so if you've not read any Rivers of London, I would say go check them out. Feel free to go back to the very start, which would be Rivers of London. Or you can dive into this new book, which is False Values. I don't think you said the title until No, then. I didn't, because you cut me off with all your questions. Sorry. Didn't need to do an introduction or anything. <laughs> I'd prepared stuff. You prepared? No, I hadn't really. I was going to say, that's why I have to prepare. You just make things up. So. Well, now I'm going to tell you about a book as well. Well, a comic book. But, you know, it's an actual physical book that I'm holding in my hand. A book with uh, pictures. A book with pictures, <laughs> yes. Uh, so... Final review for Oh, we this. didn't tell them about the TV series. You're looking up IMDb. Yes, so there is an IMDb page for it. It just says pre-production at the moment, so there's not really very much information on it. Uh, but it's something that will keep you updated on because it's very close to your uh, your dear art, isn't it? It is. Rivers of London. Can, can I continue with my review now? You may. <laughs> Thank you very much. With your picture book. <laughs> it's a very good picture book, My, I'll have you know. So I am going to tell you about a book called They, Volume 1. You might have seen my uh, slightly embarrassing uh, live Twitter when I unboxed this book. Oh, uh, this with the nipples. Uh, yes, it has boobies in it. And unfortunately, that was the first thing that I came to when I opened it and went, oh, let's look at the artwork when I unboxed this. You, you freed the nipple. <laughs> I did free the nipple. Hashtag free the nipple on Geico Twitter. So this is not a book that I had heard of before. I will admit to that. I have uh, made friends with a lovely man named Eric who works at Insight Editions who published this book and he said I'm going to send you something and you're going to read it and you're going to love it and I said you just fling anything you want at me because I'm trying to branch out and read more than DC and you know normal superheroes. Uh, 
So he sent me volume one and volume two of They, which is written by uh, Sarah B. Elfgren and illustrated by an artist called Carl Johnson. So I will read you the blurb on the back, which says, She trained her whole life to become the strongest warrior of Jotunheim and the beloved champion of her gods, but nothing prepared her for betrayal. Exiled from Jotunheim, Vey is forced to strike a deal with treacherous Vikings from Midgard. She returns home looking for answers, only to find herself caught in a word that I am not even going to try and pronounce. It's like maestralikurer. It's a nice word of something Nordic that I will only ruin, and I already have done, so let's just move on. A bloody game played between the giants of Jotunheim and the gods of Asgard to determine who has the rights to rule Midgard. Vey must fight for her life in an epic battle against fearsome warriors and monsters, with her survival hinging on dark and ancient intrigues. She must decide who to trust, old allies, new friends, or her enemies. So Sarah B. Elfgren is a best-selling Swedish author, screenwriter, and playwright. The Circle, the first part of the Engelfors trilogy, which she co-wrote with Matt Strandberg, has been translated into 25 languages. Her work has been nominated for the August Prize, the Nordic Council Children and Young People's Literature Award, and Prix Europa. Her recent work includes the VR game Ghost Giant. Carl Johnson's first graphic novel, Mara Fran Ulthar, which translates to Mara from Ulthar, was nominated for the so many Swedish words or Dutch words, or I'm now just offending everyone with my lack of understanding, uh, words on the back of this that it's really not very easy to read. Uh, was nominated for an award for uh, most notable comics in Sweden. There you go, Swedish. Um, he also illustrates children's books and has worked for many years as a concept and storyboard artist in film and TV. Uh, it's also got a quote from Lev Grossman on the back of it as well, uh, which I won't bother to read because I'm reading lots of things at the moment when I need to tell you about it. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. The artwork is reminiscent of um, some of the Dark Horse Buffy comic books, in a way. It's got very, it's got that kind of look about it. It's not too dark and gritty, but it's also not cartoony at the same time. It's really, really nicely done. And clearly, both the author and the illustrator know a lot about Nordic history and this whole world of Jotunheim and Asgard and Midgard and all the gods, because it is laden with things that I know absolutely nothing about but having read it I feel like I learned a lot about this area of history this stuff this stuff it's quite a it's quite a meaty book it is a very meaty book and I'm t- I don't, the thing that worries me is I just don't want to say anything that comes across as stupid or ridiculously offensive in me saying I don't really know anything about it and I think it's really cool but I don't really know anything about it and I think it's really cool well, so at least you're not going to like a Marvel Thor place. No, 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 not at all. So it starts out with uh, with Vey floating in the ocean. She, you, you don't really know what's been happening. She's been cast out, presumably from Jotunheim, and she comes across this uh, this Viking ship who take her on board. Um, the guys look very Thor-like. They're all very lots of flowing blonde locks and free nipples, um, and basically they don't understand who she is. She tries to explain that she's come from um, from sort of Asgard and that part of and is looking for Jotunheim. They they think of her as a witch, and it it's very it's very easily accessible in that it's it's nothing that you can't understand by reading through it and just paying attention to what you're reading. You don't really have to have an intimate knowledge like I don't. Um, so they they don't trust her. They end up in a shipwreck, and from there it goes on to this huge adventure by which you learn. Uh, who she is, how she came to be trained, who she was, uh, who she was aligned with in in Jotunheim, and then it builds towards this giant battle that I have absolutely no way in hell of being able to pronounce myself. Um, it's got beautiful artwork in it. I say as I just open to the page with the boobs on it again. Um, but if you, I think if like like you just said about Thor, if you were a fan of the first Thor film and that the mythological side to it, a lot of that is in here. So the Bifrost is mentioned. Um, the the gods that Vey was trained by and worked with are like blue frost giants in a way. Uh, it's it's not 
it's not that kind of comic book that's so steeped in the mythology that it's literally retelling it to you like a history lesson or like you're in school. It's telling you a really exciting story that is just based off all of this myth and legend. But what it does is it's doing a lot of world building. So I've not read volume two yet, but this is obviously then continuing adventures. So this is really setting up who Vey is, the world that she's in, and the world that all these characters inhabit. Uh, there are a lot of really great personalities in there. You learn about the army that she's part of, and you do get to the point where you witness the battle and there, you know there is a battle for Midgard that happens. There's a lot of action that happens in here. It's not just character upon character upon character. But there's lots of really interesting scenarios that she gets in even in the space of this first book. And it's completely outside my comic book comfort zone. But it's it's really cool. It's just it's a really interesting read that sh that surprised me because it's not the kind of thing that I would normally pick up off the shelf. Um, so I'm very thankful for it being sent to me because it has opened my eyes to a different sector of comic books as it were diversifying me. it is diversifying me greatly yes as you can tell i'm slightly outside my comfort zone i can tell <laughs> never seen you squirm so much ever i know again i just don't want to say something that sounds ridiculous or accidentally offend anyone that was involved in creating this wonderful book because i don't necessarily understand the history of it i just think it's a really nice story but then that's quite nice in itself the fact that you said look i don't really understand the history but actually I still loved the book and I still it didn't you know it was so accessible mm. that it allowed you to engage with the material and share it with the lovely listeners yes it's a really interesting cast of characters as well I mean there's a lot of representation that goes on in this book and I do not say that in a social justice warrior way I say that as in you know there are a lot of different races that are in here there are a lot of analogies that mix with contemporary life it's just all transplanted onto this Nordic mythology as it were. Loki is in here female Loki is an appearance so there are, you can see how it is cleverly pitched in a way that it is a more what's the word I'm looking for? Accessible engaging Engage, no, I, so it is accessible and engaging. I guess if you were looking at this from a Nordic mythology point of view, it's a very accessible version of Nordic mythology. But if you were a... Like I just said, if you were piqued by some of the mythology that's in Thor, this is a more intelligent version of that. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, a more well-defined version of it. No, just less comic booky is what I'm trying to say. If you... This is an this is an action adventure with the mythology, not an action adventure playing on the mythology. This is playing with it, not playing on it. Is what I would say. So more steeped within it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I have the book open on the table in front of us because I'm just showing Martin some of the artwork. You see what I mean by it's very it's very cool. It is. It's very fantastical. The characters are. You know, the men are very muscled and very chiselled. The women are very beautiful, but not in an overly sexualised manner. This isn't doing anything other than portraying people as who they are. There's no... This isn't pandering to any particular kind of audience. This is a kind of take-no-prisoners sort of... Everyone is as they are. So here's Vey in a fight scene that I've got in front of me here, and you can see she's almost as muscled as any of the male characters are. There's no... There's no kind of bias towards anyone here. It's not trying to hook people in by having sort of sexy ladies fighting. It's all, everyone is just who they are. It's very much told as is. Lay the cards on the table. Take it as it is. What would your score for this one? I haven't reviewed this on the website yet. I haven't actually written it. Um, again, because I just, I've been really worried that I'm going to end up saying something that I shouldn't about it. But I would give this an 8 out of 10. It's, uh, it's a really big book, as you can see. This isn't the size of a normal graphic novel. This isn't one I can chuck in my backpack and take to work with me. Um, but it's, I mean, the artwork is glorious. It's so beautiful. And I've tweeted quite a bit about reading this just because I think it's such a sight to see. Um, it definitely, definitely is something that I would recommend anyone reads. And it looks beautiful on your coffee table too, in a beautiful hardback, I might add. I will review it on the website and I will be uh, reading volume two very soon as well. And where can people buy this book? You can buy this book where all good comics are sold. Mm, very good. I would also recommend that you head over to insighteditions.com. They've got a wonderful web store that sells uh, all the stuff that they obviously publish. They do a lot of online sales and they do a lot of really good books that are 
not so they don't just do comic books so insight editions uh, do a lot of the books that we've got the coffee table art books to do with film and tv and then they have insight comics that are within that that do the publishing of these things as well so they did that wonderful uh history of batman book that we were looking at at new york comic con you know the one that if we'd bought it we'd have needed a new suitcase because of the weight oh yeah yeah so that's insight editions and a big thank you once again to to eric and to them for sending that over to us that's it this week that's everything we have to tell you about uh, and i'm not going to call it on what we're going to talk about in two weeks time because we just at this point don't know we will have wrapped up Star Trek Picard. We've purposefully avoided talking a bit about that because I think we need to go through this one in one go because it's going to be quite a discussion, isn't it? Probably, yeah. Based on this week's episode. Yeah, that was quite exciting. Seven of Nine Ball Queen. You don't give to spoil it for people. We'll have some comics to talk about. The comics are still coming out. Yeah. There's plenty of comic books out there, so I think we're just going to talk about more and more comic books. If you've got any recommendations for us as to what you think we should be reading or reviewing, any recommendations are welcome. You can find me on Twitter at Neil Berg, or you can tweet us at GetYourComicOn. Uh, same on Instagram for both of those. Where can people find you? Um, I'm around. I'm here and there. Street corners. Dodging, a, dodging about the place. You can find me on Twitter if you want. At Boy Wonder nineteen eighty nine. Very medical though. You always say that. Yeah. Just as I, I don't want people to get disappointed and like, oh, he's tweeting about pain, or. I think the people at home understand that you are uh, a nurse by trade. If you like what you're listening to, then please make sure to hit the subscribe button, which is either below or to the left or to the right or above, depending on what platform you're listening to us on. We're available on Apple Podcasts. Also, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. Well, loads of platforms, as it turns out. We're literally everywhere. You can find us wherever you want. Or on YouTube. Also, get your Comic-Con if you want to find us on there, where we'll post loads of film trailers and the like. If I haven't said it enough, you can also head over to our website, which is www.getyourcomiccon.co.uk. There are daily news updates on there, as well as all of our written reviews. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, my name is Neil. My name is Martin. Bye. Bye.